you're listening to the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast, the podcast for the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, aka the Dirt Path Pastor, and my team and I strive to share the message of God's Word with you, seasoned with grace, laced with truth, and applying to your everyday life. are back to normal somewhat at Ravnaz this week. For the message, we are again in the Old Testament looking at the life of the prophet Daniel. That is how we know him. But that's not how Nebuchadnezzar knew him. An attempt to mold the prophet of the culture involved changing his name. This gives, gives us an insight into what Nebuchadnezzar thought of Daniel and the Israelites living in his land. Daniel is called to minister to him. And this is where we find our application. And as you're turning there, there is a story about a holy man who went out by the river, and there was a giant tree, and it's one of those trees that had like the big roots, right? And the roots kind of you know went deep in the ground, but also kind of shot off the edge of the river bank and down into the water. Well, he had gone out to the river that day to, to spend some time in meditation and in prayer. And as he was sitting there, he noticed that the river was beginning to rise. And as the river was beginning to rise, he looked down at the tree root, and in the tree root, he saw a scorpion that was stuck. And the scorpion was desperately trying to get away from the rising water, but it, it couldn't get away. So it was going to drown. So the holy man, he climbs out on the tree roots to where the scorpion is, and he reaches out to rescue it, but it's a scorpion. right? He reaches out to save the scorpion, and it stings him. Tries again. Stings him again. And it just kept happening, because that's what scorpions do. As a matter of fact, there was a passerby that walked, you know, happened to see the, the, the man trying to rescue the scorpion, and he shouts out, don't you know that is a scorpion? And don't you know it is the scorpion's nature to sting you? And the holy man responded to this. He says, yes, I know that. But I don't have to change my nature to save him. I don't have to change my nature because the scorpion won't change his. Now, how many of us would have that attitude? If it was me, I saw a scorpion in the, in the, you know, in the, in the roots and the water is rising. I'd be like, goodbye, scorpion. Hope you learn to swim. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be our attitude, right, for most of us. We don't like creepy crawly things, for starters, and especially ones that are going to sting us when we try and help it. Wait, do you realize many of us, we have that attitude toward people? Sometimes it's because the, the people think different than us. 
And so we want to avoid the awkwardness of trying to engage in conversation and connect with that person because we know we have very little in common because we think so differently. So rather than get stung by the scorpion, we just continue on. Other times, maybe it's because the person is worse than a scorpion. Have you ever met a person that's worse than a scorpion? But then again, perhaps if, if we decide not to reach out and connect with somebody, perhaps the real scorpion isn't the other person, but it's us because of our attitude. You see, as followers of Jesus, we're called to have a different heart. And that's what we're going to look at today in, in Daniel. So Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 19. And it reads, Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, I'm sure I said that wrong, was stunned for a moment, and his start, thoughts alarmed him. Then the king said, Don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, May the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose earth and whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all, under it the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived, that tree is you, your majesty. For you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground, and with a band of iron and bronze around it in, in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share. Share food with, with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my King. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from injustice by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you're confused right now, it's because I couldn't fit the entire story into this one sermon. I tried, believe me. But kind of the, the backstory to this is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, right? The mighty empire that has carried off God's people into ex exile because they would not be obedient, had this dream and it troubled him. And he was wanting to know what it meant, and all of his other advisors had no clue what it meant. So he sends for Daniel. And here's the crazy thing. Daniel gets there. Here's the details about the dream. And figures it out almost immediately. He knows what it means. He fully understands it. There's nothing complicated about it to him. There's nothing that, that doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. But you notice what it says in verse 19? Daniel was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. So he hears the dream of, the, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He listens to it. He listens to all the details. 
He understands what it means. But the meaning caused Daniel to have this awkward moment of silence. As he's trying to contemplate, do I share this? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know. He was desperate to know what this this dream meant. So the king encourages Daniel to share. The problem is Daniel doesn't want to share it. As, a mess, as someone that preaches regularly and teaches people about Jesus, there are some times there are some things you don't want to share. Some passage that you're going through, you're like, oh, Lord, you sure you want me to preach on this? Because if I do, they're not going to like me very much. That's where Daniel's at. But here's, the, here's, here's where Daniel does the right thing. Because he recognizes that it's not Daniel's message to decide whether to share it or not. It was God's message to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel was being sent to give that message to the king. The prophet had to speak God's truth. Now, the interpretation was pretty straightforward for Daniel. And that's what, what, that's what we read in verses 20 through 26. That's Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Right, it's, it was such a clear interpretation of the dream. It's so easy for Daniel to figure it out that uh, the, the commentator Adam Clark wrote in his commentary, the dream is so fully interpreted that I feel no need to add any remarks on verses 20 through 26. Now, contrary to Adam Clark, I'm going to give you a summary. (laughs) So ultimately, what's going on is God is warning Nebuchadnezzar that if he doesn't change his ways, he's going to lose his mind. This, this, This king that is a at the top of, of, of power and knowledge, would go from the top and would lose his mind and be, would become like a cow grazing in the field. Nebuchadnezzar would go from a symbol of worldly power to the lowest of the low. That's the warning God's given him. And God's given him this warning because Nebuchadnezzar has become prideful. If you want to see a, a, read about how prideful Nebuchadnezzar is, go to Daniel chapter 3, and you'll read about the 90-foot statue of gold he made of himself. He's, he's become prideful because his kingdom has expanded. His building has grown massive. He conquered his enemies regularly. But in the midst of all that, he, he forgot that he wasn't really the one in charge. And God was going to remind Nebuchadnezzar of his place. God, was, God is the ruler of all. All the kingdoms of this earth, God is their ruler. And until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that fact, he was going to be grazing in that field like a cow.
Now, keep in mind, I just mentioned this is the same Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3. He built a 90-foot statue of gold of himself and told all the people, when you hear the music playing, I want you to turn and look at this statue and worship me. You read that in chapter 3. That's what he says. And unfortunately, the music plays, and there are three guys there, and they decide, you know what, we worship the one true living God, so we're not going to bow down and worship this statue. And you remember how Nebuchadnezzar reacts then? He gets so enraged, he grabs those three guys and tosses them into a fiery furnace. He's going to make an example out of them. This is what happens when you don't worship me. He's angered. He's, he's outraged. And as Daniel is sharing his interpretation of the dream, to me it's amazing that he doesn't fly off the handle of Daniel. And it's either because Daniel has earned his respect, or it's also possibly because Nebuchadnezzar remembers, I threw three men in the fire, and then for a second it's like maybe i should pay attention to what daniel this 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 hebrew this child of god is saying maybe i should hear it out maybe i should have an ear to hear what's going on so that's the dream and and daniel gives its interpretation i really gave you the cliff notes version you wouldn't be able to pass the exam with that but that's enough So he shares the dream. He shares that God's coming and this is God's judgment if you don't change your ways. And and so in verse 27, Daniel gives him some really good advice. He simply tells King Nebuchadnezzar, you know what, I know this is the judgment God is pronouncing on you, but maybe, just maybe, if you repent, things could change. And now, when Daniel is talking to the king about repenting, it has to be more than just lip service. It has to be more than just outward actions. In his heart, he is going to have to stop worshiping himself, stop glorifying himself, and turn his heart toward God. He was going to have to rend his heart of evil. Remember that verse in Joel chapter 2 where God says, rend your heart, not your garments? Because the Israelites, every time God punished them, they would put on the sackcloth and ashes, they would tear their robes, but it didn't produce anything. It was just a big show. But Nebuchadnezzar, if he wanted to repent, he wanted the the outcome to possibly change, then what he needed to do was rent his heart and give up his evil actions. And God tells him, or you know, He tells him, separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. Start doing the right thing. Because it's right. He goes on to say, and separate from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Think about it. When he conquers these other lands, he actually uproots the entire civilization and moves them. He forces them to change to the Babylonian ways and change their names and all these things. And that's just what we read about. We don't know what else is going on underneath the surface. And we know how politicians and government officials work sometimes, right? 
This is the king. He's the one that makes all the decisions. What I find interesting, though, is even though Nebuchadnezzar was God's instrument in, in the judgment against God's people, and so now he's the, he is the, the human king over God's people in this moment, God's still holding Nebuchadnezzar to the same standard as the Israelite kings. It's the same one. It's not a different standard for God's people and a different standard for everybody else. No, we all have the same standard. Just as God's people... We have it clearly defined to us, and we're supposed to model it to the rest of the world. And so God's saying, hey, you're, 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 I've placed you over my people. You better rule them by the way I think is right, not the way you think is right. And you're going to do that by showing justice and doing what is right. Now, what's sad about this story and this passage is if you go on to the next section... Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change his ways. He would lose his mind and spend seven years grazing like a cow. And there, there certainly is a lesson in that, but that's not our focal point today. I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to become like a cow grazing in the field. I'm not going to say that. That wouldn't be right anyway. No, our focal point has to do with a holy man and a scorpion. Look at verse 19 again. Remember, when Daniel first gets there, he hears the dream. He, can, he immediately knows exactly what the dream means. There's no hesitation. There's no confusion on his part. He knows exactly what the dream is saying and what God is warning Nebuchadnezzar. But do you remember? He hesitates. He goes into this awkward pause and silence. You notice he, in verse 19, when he finally does respond, he says, may, My Lord, may this dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. Daniel's saying, I wish I was giving this to somebody else. Why would Daniel behave this way and begin his interpretation with that introduction? Can you imagine if I started my sermon by just standing here not saying anything? It'd be awkward, wouldn't it? I shouldn't give myself ideas. <laughs> now, why? It could be because that perhaps Daniel, by saying this, he actually really meant that he hoped Nebuchadnezzar's enemies did take advantage of this moment. He could be meaning that. You know, he's just saying opposite but meaning another thing, because that's what people do sometimes, right? We say one thing, and, but we actually mean another thing. Like, I hope Jeff's fantasy football team has a great day today. I'm playing against Jeff in fantasy football, so I actually mean I hope they are all, they have they, it's a little slow day for them. <laughs> so Daniel could be meaning that, 
You can read this passage, you can take it that way, but, but as a follower of Jesus who believes in holiness and, and believes that part of our call to holiness is to think the best of, a, one, of, no, of one another, I don't think that's what this passage is saying. I don't think that's what Daniel's doing here. I don't think that's Daniel's heart. I think Daniel pauses because his heart is filled with compassion for King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, he had developed a, a somewhat of a relationship with this king, enough to where the king respected him enough to bring this Israelite, this non-born Babylonian guy, into his presence and interpret this dream for him that he can't figure out. Yes, Daniel's the last one he calls, but he calls Daniel in. And there's obviously enough respect in the relationship between the two that Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, just tell me. I'd rather know the truth, and I know if it's coming from you, you're not saying it because you hate me. You're saying it because you love me. You have earned my respect enough to be heard out. Daniel loves this king. Daniel has compassion for this king who conquered his homeland. Daniel has compassion for this king that placed him in chains and and dragged him all the way to this foreign country to live in. He loves this king that thought, you know, so little of Daniel's culture and people. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give you a different name that makes you more Babylonian so you can fit in. Daniel shows him, is moved with compassion when he's pronouncing God's warning of judgment on this king. To the point where, I, King, I don't want to share this. I wish this, I was sharing this with somebody else. Really, Daniel, he should be praying. If he was like most of us, he would be praying, God, would you send a piano from the sky to fall on this guy's head? But that's not Daniel's heart. The prophet has genuine compassion for his oppressor. That's what happens when we get to know people. When you get to know somebody, you spend time with them, it's hard. It's hard to let go of them from your heart. It's hard to let them go from your mind. Even those people that we hate, think about it. You know, it takes just as much energy to hate somebody as it does to love somebody. There's just as much passion involved. You got to give up the same amount of time in a head space and heart space to, to carry that grudge and that burden with you. Daniel doesn't do that. Now, as we read through this warning that God gives to Nebuchadnezzar, it seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Seems like a harsh warning on God's part. Change your ways or or you're going to become like a cow. But if you kind of read down into verse 28 and 29, you'll see that God actually gives Nebuchadnezzar this warning and then gives him 12 months before it happens. Gets the warning, and then 12 months. And notice, God doesn't tell, speak to Daniel and say, hey, tell the king this part. 
Now, the only part that God, that God gives Daniel initially is the dream through Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel interprets the dream. And that's when Daniel steps in, knowing who God is, says, listen, if you repent, perhaps you can change things. So God, by giving Nebuchadnezzar this 12-month period of opportunity, is, is essentially declaring, you know what, I'm going to offer you mercy, Nebuchadnezzar. Mercy is available to you. There is still time. I'm giving you this warning because there's still hope for you. Isn't that what God does? God gives us a warning so we know that, there, that if we don't change our ways, then there are consequences to that. But He also gives us an opportunity to change our minds. To stop doing things our way and start following after Jesus. And He does that to Nebuchadnezzar. But only notice, God doesn't give that part in the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. No, He gives that word, whether... whether he, to the faith of Daniel to share with the king. Daniel knows God. He has a relationship with God. He loves God. And he knows that his God is loving and forgiving if we are willing to repent and turn towards him. So this king that took him away from his homeland... He now becomes an instrument of God's mercy to that same person. This person that should have been Daniel's enemy is now the one that Daniel is offering the mercy of God to. And Daniel does so gently and kindly. He doesn't say, repent and turn toward God, you big idiot. You know, he simply says, separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right. He simply shares the truth in gentleness and kindness. The scorpion does not change his nature, but neither does Daniel. He has faith in God and he lived a holy life that showed his love for God. And that love led Daniel to love, love King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was different from Daniel in every way imaginable. And when he had an opportunity to pray for a piano to fall on his head, instead he prays and says, King, I wish I wasn't sharing this with you. And he offers him a way to find God's mercy. See, this passage reminds you and I of a very important truth. That's for the wages of sin is death. Right? We read that in the Bible. That's what the Bible tells us. For the wages of sin is death. It's telling us that our sin leads to destruction. It leads to death. It leads to eternal separation from God. And as followers of Jesus, we know this is why we need to repent. We need to change our minds. And follow God's way instead of our way. We need to confess our sins, take up our cross, and follow after Jesus. We know that because of this truth. That's what we need to do. But sometimes I think we need to be reminded that this truth applies to everyone. It doesn't just apply to you and me. It applies to everyone. 
Jesus came and died on the cross to save everyone. God's goal wasn't to, wasn't to come and save a select few. It wasn't these, just these special ones he had set up to say, no, Jesus came, died on the cross to save every single one of us. And that includes the people who are different from us. And that includes the people who we would consider our enemies. God's not going to change his heart for them because you and I don't want to feel awkward. God's not going to change his heart for them because they did this to us a long time ago. God still wants to save them just as much as he saved us. Our heart for those people different from us, those who are enemies, reveals what is most important to us. Are our feelings more important, or is the kingdom of God more important? Not that our feelings aren't important, because they are. But at some point, we have to lay our personal feelings aside. We have to lay our personal vendettas aside, and we have to say the kingdom of Jesus Christ is more important. If we are followers of Jesus, we are called to have His heart. You see, the heart of Jesus looks at those who are different us, and it looks at our enemies like a lost sheep. A lost sheep that He is willing to leave the, the rest of us to go and search for. The heart of Jesus looks at, look at those people who are different from us, who are our enemies like a lost coin. Right? And, and he's tearing apart the house. He's digging through it everywhere, trying to find where that coin is. The heart of Jesus is like, like the father standing out on the porch, watching the dirt road, waiting for that prodigal child to come home. And that's Jesus' heart towards the people that are different from us and the people we would consider our enemies. And that's the same heart he had for you and I. Now, this does not mean we overlook sins and shortcomings. It doesn't mean there are no issues that need to be addressed. Because whenever there's two or more gathered in his name, then surely there will be a problem. doesn't mean there won't be issues that rise that we need to be talked about and just work through. And it doesn't even mean that we have to be their best friend. I can't tell me how many times I told teenagers in my youth group, sometimes the best way for you to love somebody is to not be right next to them. Sometimes the best way for you to love somebody is to just delete their contact information from your phone. Because every time the two of you talk, bad things happen. Yes, it doesn't mean all those things. To have the heart, it doesn't mean all those things, but it does mean we must be willing to accept them at God's table. The people that are different from us, the people we consider our enemies, we must be willing, if we have the heart of Jesus, to accept them at God's table. And not only that, we have to be willing to point them on how to get there. 
And when we pray for them, it's not that a piano falls out of the sky on their head. Our prayer is that they would hear Jesus calling and be transformed. We may reach out, we may offer them the love of God, and they may be like the scorpion. But even if the scorpion changes its nature, we have the heart of Jesus in it, and He won't change His. His heart changes us. At Rav Naz, we concluded this message by taking the Lord's Supper together. The bread represents the body of Jesus, and the juice represents His blood. Both were given for the redemption of you and me, enemies of God. Jesus knew this and invited us to the table anyway. Because of what Jesus did as his follower, how can we come to the table and wish for the exclusion of someone? How can we take those elements with that attitude in our hearts? If you or I struggle with this, we are unworthy to be at the table ourselves. Now, the beauty is, that those elements are an invitation to the grace of God. Grace that will cover us when we are not ready to fully embrace the attitude of Jesus for those different than us, those we consider enemies. But it's also the grace that will beckon us to embrace the way of Jesus. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Brick Passman Podcast. It was recorded live at the Ravenna Church in Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street in Ravenna, Kentucky. You can learn more about the Ravenna Church in Nazarene by visiting ravnaz.com. And if you'd like to send me a message, just simply use the link in the show notes.